we're just going to have a scripture reading um, from our passage this morning um, in the book of Mark, chapter 10, and we're going to start in verse 13. <clears throat> People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive <coughs> the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said unto each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. God, we um, invite you to speak into our lives. God, we ask, um, Lord, that we would, you would give us ears to hear you this morning. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. There we go. So we took a big jump. Last time we were together and I was talking to you, we were in Mark chapter 6. We're jumping all the way to the middle of chapter 10. So I want to do a quick review for you of what transpired in chapters 7 through halfway through 10. And what we see is Jesus continuing to do the things that he was doing, but the phrase now or in those chapters is the crowds and the people are utterly amazed and filled with wonder. So it's not just amazed, but they're utterly amazed. They're overwhelmed with amazement. And over the course of this study in Mark, I've told you that Mark structures his, his gospel in three pieces. 
There's the first half where he wants to identify who Jesus is, Son of God, Mighty Messiah. And then the end part is how differently Jesus is going to do things. That middle part is where Jesus kind of steps out and identifies himself. And he does that with his disciples. And he says, who do people say that I am? And they give, you know, some answers about what the people say. And then Jesus says to to his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter says that you are the Messiah. Right, so Peter confesses Jesus as Lord. And in typical Peter fashion, almost in the same breath, right, he screws up. The very next step, Jesus goes on to tell the disciples how that he is going to have to go to Jerusalem, he's going to be tortured, and he's going to be killed, and he's going to rise again. Peter's like, no way, God, not on my watch, not happening. Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. Called Peter Satan, right? Jesus calls you Satan. That's like... But he was still with Peter, right? He didn't say, Peter, you're done, get out. He was still, he was still with him. So Jesus teaches this idea that he has, to, he has to be killed and rise again. And then he also brings this little gem out. Take up your cross and follow me. Okay, we have the hindsight or the, the benefit of hindsight. We can look back on that from this side of Easter. That audience, these guys... All they knew were Roman crosses, right? Humiliation, torture, the worst thing probably anybody could think of at that point. Pick up your cross and follow me, boys. Let's go. Try to put yourself in those shoes. It hits a lot different than when we read it on this, on this side of Easter. All right, so... The, the scripture that the, the band read for us, I just want to give you a, a few quick points before we dig in a little deeper. In verse 15, um, Jesus wants the children to come to him. And it's not just the children, but it's, he says, such as these, those with no status, no power, no leverage. That's who he's calling, right? And let's be very clear and make the, the differentiation between childlike and childish, childlike, pure, innocent, trusting, accepting, childish, me, 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 mine, 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 gimme, 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 pitch a fit. Get the difference? Childlike, we approach Jesus. Childlike, that's what he wanted to communicate. So this is like the whole the whole deal of this passage is this contrast between a rich man and little children. A rich man and little children. The rich man, unlike so many other people who approach Jesus with a question in the Gospel of Mark, he approaches with reverence and he approaches with respect. He's not trying to trip Jesus up. He's got an honest question. Right? He takes the law very seriously. He takes his relationship with God very, very serious. Jesus appreciated that. Jesus, when, when the, the man in, in the scripture says, I followed all of those commands, Jesus doesn't like, no, you didn't. Right? He believed, like, this guy was trying to be the, the best Jewish man that he possibly could be. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. He appreciated the respect. He appreciated the reverence. He appreciated the obedience, and he recognized it. The text tells us, like, he made eye contact, and he looked into this guy's soul. And in that moment, that man felt loved. 
a couple verses after that, Jesus calls the disciples children with all of their struggles, all of their difficulties, all of their not quite getting what Jesus came to do. He calls them children, right? Mark is very intentionally capturing that right after Jesus says, let the little children come to me. Jesus is communicating to his disciples that I am with you and I'm glad to be with you even with all your shenanigans, all your misunderstandings, I'm glad to be with you. You are mine. You are mine. And then the kind of the big, the clincher of the, of the, the passage, who then can be saved? The disciples come out with that because at that time, the common belief was that wealth was a symbol of divine blessing, right? So if this rich guy is not in line for eternal life, for the kingdom of God, who, who is? Who is? So, um, again, just like we did with Jesus's take up your cross and follow me, this passage through 21st century Western eyes could, um, depending on, on where you're coming from, where you're at, your perspective, it could seem foolish, right? That Jesus is going to build a kingdom on children and people who are like children. Foolish. Could seem um, inefficient, right? The disciples who can't seem to get out of their own way. Jesus is going to build a kingdom on them. That doesn't make sense. And then a rich guy comes along who could have contributed to the, you know, their meager little money that the the disciples had going and helped fund the ministry. Jesus basically ends up sending him away and he doesn't chase him down. He's like, all right, no, 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 you don't have to give everything away. Just give like 75%. He doesn't chase him. This doesn't make sense through our consumeristic, individualistic, instant gratification, always looking for the most efficient way. It doesn't make sense. Jesus is all about upside down and inside out, right? And what this, what this passage tells us, what I hope you can walk away with, is that Jesus makes the impossible possible as he goes ahead of us, right? And he flips things upside down and inside out. Upside down and inside out. And the way that that starts, right, the way that our world individually and our world collectively gets flipped upside down is by putting Jesus in the center. It's got to be the main thing. What do I mean when I say that? That Jesus wants to be, Jesus needs to be the ultimate authority in our lives. He's who we listen to first. He's who we listen to last. He's who we listen to the most. We, We need to be willing, unlike the young man in the story, to trade our worldly security, right? That he was comfortable. This guy was comfortable and he was secure. He didn't have to worry practically about much. We need to be willing to trade those things that provide that security for a divine security, right? Which we may not be able to fully see. We may not be able to fully understand. But it invites us into what Dallas Willard called an eternal kind of life 
now. And Jesus uses the term the present age and the age to come, right? Present age, now. Age to come after Jesus' return. We need to be willing to make that trade that the, the man in the account wasn't. It means that putting Jesus in the center is that our actions and our attitude, I learned a new word this week, are cruciform. They're, cruci- they're shaped like a cross. Our attitudes and our actions. We use the word Jesus-y around here instead of cruciform. Sometimes it's easier to understand. It means that we think and do with, through, for, and like Jesus. We think and act with, through, for, and like Jesus. That's our goal. That's what we want to do. That's what it means to have Jesus in the center. And we invite him there, right? We confess our need for a forgiveness of sin, and we confess our desire to be with him. And that's how that starts. And then stuff starts getting turned upside down and flipped inside out. Um, I wasn't sure how much of this stuff I was going to be able to get to, so I put this list up so you guys could maybe wrestle with it on your own if we don't get to cover, cover all of it. But the things that Jesus flips upside down and inside out, he makes the, the impossible possible. Right? He goes in front of us, and I think without exception... Right? Christianity, when you hold it up against other belief systems, other worldviews, is the one where the deity, Jesus, does the work. Right? And we, he goes in front of us and does it first. And we have to, we, all we do is accept that and try and follow along with him. Every other belief system is reach, strive, do, fix. Really, really unique, unique God that we serve. Um, status gets flipped. We talked a little bit like with the children. That's who Jesus wants, such as these. Money gets flipped. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. And suffering gets flipped. There's almost, it feels like a little bit, like if if you don't read carefully, there's this line, a, a phrase in verse 30, where Jesus is trying to comfort Peter. And Peter's like, dude, we left everything. What about us? Jesus says, you're going to get all that and more. And persecutions. It's just like he kind of slips that in there. Like, huh? Right? But it's important, and we need, to, we need to think about it. So nothing is impossible. Right? The disciples like, if this rich guy can't be saved, he's got the outward appearances of divine blessing. Who, who can be saved? Jesus can reach the rich. Right? Jesus can reach the religious. He can reach those who think they hold the keys to the kingdom of heaven and try to keep people out. Jesus can, as I was thinking about this, the only phrase that kept coming to my mind was smarty pants, right? Jesus can reach the smarty pants, right? Those who think their worldly knowledge, that they know more, right? That they know better. He can reach those people, those, me, right? When, when we put food or sex or drugs or money or relationships or status when we put those things in the center Jesus is still able to reach us he never gives up he never gives up on us right so we take Jesus ability 
to reach whoever. Right? Jesus is able to open the door for everyone. That means we shouldn't turn anyone away. And then the other things that we've been learning about Jesus and, and what he did, right? He healed the sick. He restored the broken. He calmed the wind and the waves. He had control over nature. So if Jesus is able to do those things, what is the impossibility in your life? Right? What are you facing right now? that we need to be looking at, just like Leanne said in communion, we need to be looking at that impossibility through the lens of Jesus. He has all that power, and he wants to exercise that power on your behalf. There's a verse in, um, Stace, can you put up Genesis 18, 14? God made it possible for a 100-year-old man and a 95-year-old woman to have a child. And when he told them that he was going to do this, she, the woman kind of laughed. And he responds with, is anything too hard for the Lord? Right? And sometimes, right, sometimes that impossibility, God coming through and making the impossible possible, is God fixes it. Like answers the prayer exactly, exactly the way we hoped he would. Sometimes it's the peace in the middle of it right? It's not getting fixed. Our prayer is not being answered the way we thought God should answer it. And sometimes the impossibility is God being, I know, I know, I know, I'm with you, right? And that helps us take the next step. Jesus makes the impossible possible. Stace, can you take me back to the, oh, I got it, the overview slide. Jesus is in front of us. Jesus goes in front of us. So we can make two mistakes with this passage, right? We can think it's all about money, or we can think it's not about money at all. It's just, just a, a metaphor, right? But what I want to, let's, we'll tackle the first one first. Um, it's, it's not just about money. And when I'm done with this part, you may wish it was just about money. Jesus doesn't ask us to do or go anywhere he hasn't done or anywhere he, he hasn't gone. When I, think, when I think about the fact that somebody would die for me, never mind the only perfect human that's ever lived, God in the flesh would die for me. It's mind-boggling, absolutely mind-boggling. But sometimes what I struggle with more is that in order to get to that point where he would give up human life, he left behind heaven and eternity. Jesus left everything for us so we could be with him, so we could be in relationship with him, so his Father in heaven could be glorified that's the call upon us right the call to go sell what you have give to the poor come follow me right the first half of that go and sell that's not a universal command you see throughout scripture jesus interacting with other people right zacchaeus gave away half of his stuff 
he would, some people would follow him. He'd say, no, I, I want you to go talk to the priest. And said, that w- the universal command is to follow me. What did Jesus do? He gave up everything. And so when we, that's what it means to put Jesus in the center, to, to take whatever else we might be tempted to put in the center, take it out and put Jesus there. And that's really, really hard to do. Right, so the first, the first thing I would, I would suggest to you is to just ask him the question. Jesus, what is there in my life that vies for your attention, or vies for my attention? Like, what bumps you out of the center? Be willing to ask. I mean, that's a hard question. It was a question like that that kept me from, from coming to faith for almost a year. I was asked the question, what is there in your life that if Jesus asked for it, you wouldn't give him? And I, there was something in my life that I was not ready to give up. And I was like, I, he's asking too much. Right, but we know the end of the verse, right? Anybody who leaves all that stuff for me will get that much more in this age and the age to come. But so we start by asking him that question. It takes a lot of courage to ask that question. And then the, the folks who I've known who have been most successful in addressing that question are those who do it with a handful of other people who are asking the same question. Like-minded people who are willing to be real with each other, like Gail was saying last week, who you can share those ugly thoughts with. Maybe it's some habit or something that's in the middle that is not really pleasant to talk about. But if you have a couple people around you who said, look, I asked Jesus this question and here's what I felt like he was impressing upon me. Can you, one, help me affirm that? Like, is that, is that, does that sound like something Jesus would say? And then help me walk in it if that's where Jesus is calling me. Jesus goes in front of us. Jesus set the example. Right? And then he calls us, he calls us into, into that. Status, uh, status gets flipped with the children, right? These, so this is going to be different. We're all different ages, right? I want you to do your best to think back to when you were a small child, right? And I'm talking about just, like when you just have memories, right? Go as far back, like as your earliest possible memory. And for some of us, that was a really long time ago. And if, if that's the case, I know we all have, we have grandchildren and neighbors and students and nieces and nephews and we have little people in our lives right I want you to think about how they think and how they interact with the world like I said at the beginning right they until the world and or adults get to them they are pure and innocent and trusting and accepting right they also um can be little bundles of quirkiness, right? They, um, they don't have necessarily a lot of wisdom. They're not savvy about much of anything. Tangibly, practically speaking, they have very little to offer. I mean, they have, not only do they have no net worth, but they are negative cash flow. <laughs> <coughs> um, and I mean, let's just, let's just name it, right? Little people are incredibly needy. Jesus said, 
such as these, such as these. That's who Jesus came for. That's who's going to be elevated in the kingdom of God. That's who walks into eternal life. People who approach Jesus like that, right? With nothing to offer but who they are. And that's more than enough for Jesus. More than enough for Jesus. So, <clears throat> money gets flipped. Everybody take a breath. I'm not going to ask you all for any money. I promise. What I am going to ask you is to consider your relationship with money. The man in the story, money was in the center for him. It was the thing that gave him security. It was the thing that gave him identity. It was the thing that he trusted in. And it was the thing that kept him from Jesus. Stace, could you put up First uh, Timothy 6.10? For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Right? What, what our society would tell us is the answer to everything, more money, is the obstacle to the only thing that matters according to Jesus. Right? Money is so tough, so tricky, so problematic. So problematic. Uh, this is the, another verse on money, right? This is, we talked about this a little bit last week. Do not store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Jesus knows how we are wired, right? He knows that where our treasures are, that's where our heart's going to be. This man had his treasure in his, it was his. It was all about him. Jesus gave him the opportunity to put his treasure into those who are in need. That's where his heart could have gone. He could have been storing up for himself treasures in heaven. That's where his heart could have gone. Instead, he walked away sad. So money is a super, it's hard, right? It's personal. We all work hard for the money that we have. And I think this is why Jesus is so direct and the other authors of the New Testament are so direct when they, when they talk about it. And I would encourage you, um, as you're going through this little wrestling match with your relationship with money, um, if, you, if you don't know somebody who you would immediately identify as generous, I would love to connect you with some people in this room who are so generous and just have a conversation with them about how their generosity allows them to keep Jesus in the center of their lives. I would love, I would love to be able to make that, that connection for you. Um, and the last, the last piece, how we do it on time, 1028. Um, we'll go quick. The idea that the um, suffering is flipped upside down. We... We don't like pain. <laughs> we don't like hardship. We don't like inconvenience. We don't like discomfort. All of which makes perfect sense. With Jesus in the center, our hardships, our suffering, our persecution, right? When, when things go badly for us or we're looked down upon or made fun of because of our relationship with Jesus, 
none of that with Jesus in the center is ever wasted. Right? There's multiple, multiple scriptures that tell us that. Right? The beginning of, of Romans chapter 5 talks about how um, it develops hope and perseverance in us. Another passage in Romans said that God is able to, to take everything that we go through and use it for good and for his glory. It's so hard though, right? Nobody wants to hear that in the middle of their hardship, in the middle of their suffering, in the middle of being persecuted. But we have that hope, right, that it gets flipped upside down. This, this stuff is the, the crux of the Christian life, this idea of upside down and inside out. And what, what started as what could have been misconstrued as this passage is, you know, these, this is just naive, inefficient, whatever. I hope, I hope you can see what a great picture this paints of Jesus, right? Jesus has a heart for the children and those who approach him childlike, those who have nothing to offer, no status, no ability, no leverage. That's who his heart is for. Jesus' heart is for people like the rich man who approached him with respect and reverence, honestly seeking. Jesus can handle your questions. Don't ever let anybody stifle your questions about things of faith in Jesus. If you have a question, ask it. Ask him. Ask me. Ask the elders. Jesus can handle those questions. Jesus' heart is for the rich man in that he looked at him and he loved him and then he graciously told him the truth. He didn't drop a mic on him. He didn't roast him. He didn't destroy him. He graciously told him the truth. Remember what I said? He looked at him and loved him. Jesus loved those like the disciples who have already left everything. And even though they screw up and make mistakes and don't fully get it, they're still his. He calls them, calls us children. Right? And Jesus' heart is for those that the world calls the last. Those who have nothing to offer, right? Where those kids get put into that category. No ability, no money, no leverage. That's who Jesus came for. That's who he calls. That's who he's inviting into his kingdom. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, sometimes you can be confusing, man. Um, but we thank you for your word, and we thank you for brothers and sisters that can help us understand it. God, thank you um, that you are turning things upside down and inside out, that you're calling those people who get pushed to the outside in. God, that you're taking our idea of what's on top and bringing it to the bottom. Thank you that your kingdom is different. Thank you that you rule and reign differently. Jesus, would you help us understand that? Would you help us um, walk in the power of your spirit and have those um, hard conversations about keeping you in the middle, in the center? Jesus, we're grateful that you came for us. We want to follow you, God, but we can't even do that on our own. Would you help us? Thank you that you make the impossible possible. 
thank you that you are always, always, always going in front of us. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you. Amen.